I preach to you the Word of God this afternoon from, as we confess that uh, in Lord's Day 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 19, and we'll also read in connection with that uh, Belgian Confession, Article 37, last article of the Belgian Confession. But we begin with Lord's Day 19. And there we confess the word of God as follows. Why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ descended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. And as we're going to concentrate on that last question and answer, we'll also read Belgian Confession, Article 37, page 517 in the Book of Praise. And there we confess the last judgment. Finally, we believe, according to the Word of God, that when the time ordained by the Lord but unknown to all creatures has come, and the number of the elect is complete, Our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty. He will declare himself judge of the living and the dead and set this old world afire in order to purge it. Then all people, men, women, and children who ever lived from the beginning of the world to the end will appear in person before this great judge. They will be summoned with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Those who have died before that time will arise out of the earth as their spirits are once again united with their own bodies in which they lived. Those who will then still be alive will not die as the others but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from perishable to imperishable. Then the books will be opened and the dead will be judged according to what they have done in this world whether good or evil. Indeed, All people will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken, which the world regards as mere jest and amusement. The secrets and hypocrisy of men will then be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Thus, for good reason, the thoughts of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to the wicked and evildoers, but it is a great joy and comfort to the righteous and elect. For then their full redemption will be completed and they will receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be known to all, and they will see the terrible vengeance God will bring upon the wicked who persecuted, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The wicked will be convicted by the testimony of their own consciences and will become immortal, but only to be tortured in the eternal fire, prepared, tormented in the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. On the other hand, the faithful and the elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will acknowledge their names before God, his Father, and his elect angels. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil as by many judges and civil authorities will be recognized as the cause of the Son of God. As a gracious reward, the Lord will grant them to possess glory such as the heart of man could never conceive. Therefore, we look forward to that great day with a great longing to enjoy to the full the promises of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So far, our confessions. Beloved in the Lord, so this afternoon we're, we're going to focus on question and answer 52 of Lord's Day 19 about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes back to judge the living and the dead. And we have to think of the end time and everything that leads up to that, uh, the precedes that as revealed in the Bible. And especially we think then of the last judgment going to be proclaimed to all people at one time when the bodies have all been raised from the dead, everyone stands before God with body and soul, all the angels as witnesses, all the demons too, and they'll see how God judges everybody justly. For it isn't true that we have evolved from other creatures, from apes or so, and that when we die, we just disappear in, into nothingness. We, we were created male and female in God's image to have a relationship with him, to glorify him. And every minute of our life is given by him. And he's publicly going to ask us there, too, what we did with the lives he gave us. If we served him, glorified him with our lives. What did you do with your hands? With your sexuality? With your money? With your words? What kind of relationship did you cultivate with the people he put around you? If you think about all of that, it can be kind of scary, right? You'd rather maybe not hear or think about that ultimate judgment too much. Because then, then we'll have to give account to our Creator, for, even for, for every idle word we spoke, as we mentioned, as it mentioned in, quoted from the Lord Jesus in the Belgian Confession. Frightening can be frightening, especially when you know uh, your daily sins and shortcomings and when you know that you've also said a lot of things that you don't like to give account for. But then it's remarkable that question 52 asks, what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Comfort. We don't confess fear, we confess comfort. God grant that we can, may confess his return as comfort then this afternoon. And I preach to you, Lord's Day 19, with this theme then, the comfort of Christ's return. Now, comfort, brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, comfort is something that stands over against and outweighs sorrow. And you see that in answer 52. The comfort of Christ's return here, as we confess that, outweighs our sorrows and persecution here in this life. Mention sorrow, my sorrow and persecution. 
That's what, is that what our lives are about here, actually? Is that what our lives are? Sorrow and persecution. Fortunately not, completely. God gives us a lot of good and beautiful things to enjoy with thankfulness. For instance, a fair, a fair bit of freedom and prosperity here. Reason for a lot of gratitude. But we shouldn't forget that basically life in this world is marked by sorrow and persecution. Also our own lives here. Just look around and consider how much sorrow and sadness there is in creation at this time too. All creation actually groans with pain and suffering. People and animals suffer because of the fall into sin. Creation is subjected to futility and decay. Life on earth is plagued by war, disaster, disease, hatred, violence. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. And, and that suffering and persecution sooner or later also, also seeps into our own lives. And sometimes we, we see that more clearly than others. Right? That life isn't always a bed of roses. There are painful thorns. And uh, the bloom of life so easily wilts away. So many things that also show, throw a shadow over our lives. Right? Think of all the godlessness in the world. Think of how throughout the world... And in our own nation, in our own region, God's good laws are being ignored and transgressed. Blasphemy, abortions, ignoring of the, the day of rest, adultery, theft, lies, and so on and so forth. It's actually unreal how much God must be offended every day at what goes on on this little planet here. And our own lives are wrapped up in it too. Sin also lives in our own hearts. And then it comes to expression in various ways in our own lives. We grieve God too in so many ways. So deeply rooted in us sin is. We don't even realize a fraction of all of that. Think of the suffering that goes on because of the Lord's name in the world today. Hardship because people want to serve the Lord. Think of the persecution of Christians taking place nowadays in the Middle East and in the Far East, in, in North Korea, and so too. Think of the terrorist attack in Kenya last week in which they specifically targeted Christian students. Think of the persecution that has taken place in the past when Christians were burned at the stake or so, lost their lives. Yes, Jesus reigns over all things as we also confess in Lord's Day 19, but he does that in a hidden way. He's seated at God's right hand. He pours out heavenly gifts on his church. He defends and preserves uh, her, his church against all enemies. He's almighty. But in the meantime, his church can still suffer sorrows and persecutions in terrible ways. 
And then you don't see how he defends and preserves his church and you're tempted by all kinds of questions and doubts. Where is the Lord? No. If you think about it, living as a Christian in this world is actually a stressful and even a tormented life. And it's in that context that we confess in question and answer 52 that in all my sorrow and persecution in this life here I lift up my head and eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ as judge he's coming from heaven as judge for the final official judgment as judge There are people who like to judge others, set themselves up as judge. We can be so quick with our judgments too, right? Without knowing all the facts. And then we think we know what others are thinking. We know what's going on inside them. And we judge them on the basis of that. But we're not judges, really. And the Lord Jesus says, do not judge in that regard. Our our government appoints judges and they have to be respected, but those judges can also make mistakes because they don't know everything and they can't look inside people. Think of the people who have been released from prison because they were misjudged in the past. DNA evidence or so showed they were innocent. And in our country, the courts are fairly, fairly just yet, but... Think of how many countries where there is corruption and intimidation reaching even up to the courts and the judges of the land. And think of places present and also past where people were condemned for standing for the truth, for what they believed in. And who knows if that would come here. We read part of the Belgian Confession written by Guido de Bray, who was captured and executed by the authorities who worked hand in hand at the time with the Church of Rome. And in North Korea, it's reported that thousands of Christians live in fear. They're hauled into court and judged and condemned for even bowing their head in prayer to God and, and they can be killed for, for possessing a Bible. You can understand then why the, the catechism speaks of eagerly awaiting Christ's coming as judge. Because then you can think, hey, no matter how people judge me here, no matter who here is a judge over me, Christ has the last word. He is the judge of judges. And you can imagine What a comfort that would be for Christians in North Korea. Not Kim Jong-un, but Jesus Christ will be the final judge of how they thought and acted in this life. And what a comfort for all who love Christ, because who is he for you? Who is he, that judge that is coming? Over the past number of Lord's Days, from Lord's Day 14 on, we specifically confessed him, his holy conception and birth, whereby he covers the sin in which we are conceived and born. Lord's Day 15, you know, his suffering in our place, 
His condemnation to free us from the severe judgment of God we deserved. His crucifixion to to deliver us from the curse that lay on us. Lord's Day 16, his dying to give us life. His descent into hell to deliver us from the anguish and torment of hell. And then Lord's Day 17, his resurrection to give us life. Lord's Day 18, his ascension into heaven to intercede for us and keep us in faith in him in this life. Who is this Jesus for you? Who is he to you? Because he did all of that for you. Out of love for you. He worked forgiveness, life, sanctification for you. Intercedes for you. Reigns over all things for you. Do you think he would forget you then? Just drop you somewhere along the line? Imagine that a man saves somebody from drowning. You know? Swims into the water and hauls that person out of the water. Takes that person on his shoulder. Carries that person through swamps and across a field and up across roads and and so on. Do you think that after he brought that person all the way there that he would drop him in a ditch and leave him there? After doing all those things for him, for her? Well, do you think that the Lord Jesus would now drop you and forsake you after all he did for you? Would he drop you in the end? Of course not. And that's why the catechism emphasizes that our judge will be the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake. And maybe you could see it this way. You know, there's a a military officer. Imagine a military officer. He's also a father. In the morning, he enjoys breakfast with his child, gives him a hug, kisses his child goodbye, and then goes off to the military base. And there he puts on his uniform with stripes and and hat and so on. But then during the day, he, he has to drop in at home to pick up something yet. And he walks in the house and his child looks at him wearing his uniform and hesitates. Oh, but then the child looks at the face and recognizes his father and he runs up to him. The father's wearing different clothes, a uniform. He looks different. He's the same person, though, as the child had breakfast with in the morning and hugged in the morning. Dad hasn't changed, even though he's wearing different clothes. Well, the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know Jesus is a man of sorrows, tempted, wounded, suffering because of our sins, bloody, crucified. But in the future, he will come again. And then not in humiliation, but in glory and majesty with trumpet sound and and great splendor. But it's the same Lord Jesus, the same one who gave himself up for you, whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for you. The same one who saved me will come as judge to give judgment over me. So he's no stranger for me, and I'm no stranger to him. I know him. He's the one who was condemned for me, so that I might never enter into condemnation. And he knows me as the one I went to in prayer every day. Every day I talked to him in prayer, beseeching him for forgiveness and for his help. 
And he knows me because I was the one who was there every Sunday when the gospel of his salvation was proclaimed. And I sat at table with him when the Lord's Supper was celebrated. The same one. You see, congregation, where it all hinges on, Christ will judge the living and the dead. And will he say to you, sorry, I don't know you. You can't You can't enter my joy. Or will he say to you, yes, I know you. I know you. You were there to hear my word. You took it to heart. And you came to me with your sins every day. And you ate and drank with me at my table. Welcome into my father's house. You realize then that there are actually, as the catechism says, actually there are only two kind of people at the the in the end, at the judgment day. There are only two kinds. Enemies and chosen ones. Enemies of Christ, they're people who don't acknowledge him. They might be nice people, friendly people. But if they didn't know Christ in their hearts here, didn't love him, didn't want him, they're enemies. And he will cast them into everlasting condemnation. Forsaken by God into the fire that's never quenched where the worm never dies and where there's no way out. Can Jesus do that? Jesus who is so good, so gracious, so merciful. Could he do that? Well, your neighbor might be the nicest person on the planet. But if you have committed murder and your neighbor turns out to be the judge who has to deal with your case then that neighbor can only do one thing. According to the law of the land, he can only condemn you as a murderer. Jesus shall condemn all his enemies. And that doesn't conflict at all with his mercy and his kindness. And then on the other hand, mention his chosen ones. That's what answer 52 calls them, chosen ones. Notice they're not called his believers or his friends or so. And that's so that we realize that our escape from judgment, from the final judgment, is not because he sees something good in us. Something that's good in our own hearts. No. The ultimate basis for being taken into heavenly joy and glory by Christ is being chosen by God. Being one of his elect, as we also confess in the Belgian Confession. For those who enter that joy and glory were in themselves also enemies of God. But they were drawn by God. They were overcome by the Spirit of the Lord. They're actually captured enemies. Brought in because of God's good pleasure. Loved from eternity already. And that's how come they aren't enemies anymore. But lovers of the Lord. Because they were chosen So the judge says to one group, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And to the other, he says, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How important it is to listen to the word and the proclamation of the word every time again and to call on the Lord 
in humble repentance from day to day. Because the more you strive to communicate with the Lord and follow him, the more sure you will be that you know him, that he knows you, and that when the time comes, he will invite you into his kingdom to himself, as we confess in answer 52. That makes me think to himself, that makes me think again of that image of the bridegroom and the bride we mentioned last week. The bride longs to be with the bridegroom always in his house. She doesn't even care whether his house is big or fancy or so. She's happy with a little plain house as long as she's with her man. It's about being together. Lord's Day 19 speaks of being taken to himself into heavenly joy and glory. On the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more tears, no more pain or suffering, no more worries, no more sorrows, no more persecutions, no more death forever. Only blessed living with the Lord eternally. So back to that last question of Lord's Day 19. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead, that he's going to come as judge? Well, over against all the sufferings and persecutions of this life, we look forward to the glory and joy which is coming. And the sorrows here last only a brief moment compared to the eternal joy on the way for those who are in Christ. What, what's, what is it in comparison? You know, we, do, we often don't see it in the right perspective, you know, as we stand here in the middle of this life here, and then we look to the future, and we think, well, that's all fine and dandy over there, but I, I'm worried about here now. I'm here, I'm suffering. Here, I'm struggling. But look at, look at it something like this. It's like we're camping in a tent in the mountains, And when we look at a mountain in the distance, it's not all that big, it's far away. You can can kind of visualize it in between your fingers like that. But if you stand on that mountain and then you look back down and you try to see your little pup tent down there, you hardly see anything at all, maybe a little dot. That's the way it is. If I live here in the tent of my mortal body, eternally, eternity looks so distant, so remote, and not all that relevant. But what, when I, in the future, stand on the mountain of eternal life, and I look back, then my tent here will just be a little dot. Answer 52 talks of waiting with uplifted head. I lift up my head and eagerly wait. You know, that's with uplifted head, with, with great longing, intense. You know, like when you're, you're standing on your toes to see if the queen is coming when she visits town. You see, it's been such a long time already, thousands of years since Christ came the first time and since he ascended to glory. But we need to watch and be ready. Every day, work at keeping the wedding garment Christ gave us clean of the stain of sin. Imagine that he would come and find you 
with filthy garment when he returns. No, we need to confess our sins to him ongoing. Have them washed away daily and struggle to live sanctified lives. But if we look ahead, congregation, we can have our questions too, right? You know, if someone thinks of a child or a grandchild who has left the faith or a wife or a husband who doesn't know the risen Lord, what will happen to them when the Lord returns? What, if it, what will happen to them if the Lord returns now? Right? And that creates tension in the soul. Emotion. Well, Jesus knew that emotion too. You know that? He wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. That holy city which rejected him. You see, as long as our loved ones are still alive, they still have time to come to the Lord. And we can hold the deep desire that they will come to see him, to know him. And even if we don't know if they will or not know the Lord, When Jesus returns, all creation will still sing. Holy and true are all your ways and just are you in all your judgments. And then every creature in all creation will be in complete agreement with all God's judgments. And we can have another question. You know, I'm young. Let's say I'm still young and what if Jesus comes before I have the opportunity to get involved with a fulfilling career, you know, and what if I, I'd love to get married and have a family and experience a lot of good things and maybe some travels and see things and what if he comes before, before all that and you know, then you have a, you know, in your heart a bucket list and you want to be able to tick off all the things before the Lord Jesus comes back, just wait, Lord, I... Or before he calls you to himself, maybe. Because you're afraid you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss a lot of life here. Well, to help put that concern in perspective, I read this little story somewhere. Just a little story. There was a young girl, and she was very sick. Leukemia. Incurable. She was dying. And that girl had a stuffy. A beloved stuffed penguin. And one time she asked her minister, when I die, can I take my penguin with me? And that's a difficult question in that situation. What would that minister, what could that minister say? But the girl died and she came to the doorway of heaven. And she looked through it and she saw the Lord Jesus and she ran to him. And the penguin lay on the threshold of heaven's gate because she had completely forgotten about it. Congregation, when you see him, you see him who so loved you that he died and rose again for you, you won't feel any loss at anything you had to leave behind here. You'll be satisfied, completely satisfied in seeing him 
being near him forever. And congregation, that longing to be with him is what he wants to instill in us also through our celebration this afternoon. Amen.